Acts describes what Jesus continued to do and teach through his body, the church, brought into existence at Pentecost and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So they're saying that the books suggest the name of the book should be the Acts of the Risen Christ or the Acts of the Holy Spirit instead of the Acts of the Apostles. Maybe that's why it just went with Acts in my more official interpretation of the... My mind says Acts of the Apostles. Well, that's my point. See, that means that my book, my, my interpretation is better than your interpretation, right? By, by your own quote. There you go. Okay. That's what's called a turn in debate. Okay, um, ladies and gentlemen in the internet, this is the chapter-by-chapter chapter live class at Crossroads Assembly of God Church that you are now picking up that is already in session. Uh, because I just can't hold the horses back. We are in Acts chapter 2, and we are about to pick up at verse 14. Uh, last week, we looked at the very beginning of chapter 2, which uh, shows the first large outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the apostles, and uh, we discussed tongues for 45 very long minutes. Uh, and then we stopped at 13. And at this point, uh, the apostles have been in the upper room or a upper room somewhere uh, outside of Jerusalem, uh, probably in Bethsaida. Beth Thank you. For some reason, I can't get that word out. Maybe it's not enough caffeine. Um, and uh, they, the, the uh, outpouring of the Spirit on the apostles has inspired them to preach and they are reaching out and preaching in the streets and a crowd has gathered and there is a large crowd in Jerusalem for uh, one of the feast days uh, which was whatever comes after Passover and um, there are a lot of people there and so there is a large crowd has gathered and they are accusing the apostles of being drunk because they are either speaking in unknown tongues or they are speaking in a tongue that is inappropriate to be teaching in, meaning they're teaching in Greek or uh, uh, Reformed Arabic rather than Hebrew, which is the proper way to teach according to the Pharisees, or some other interpretation well, depending on which, which commentary you're reading. They're literally drunk in the spirit. Uh, are they literally drunk in the spirit? Uh, I suppose that's a fair interpretation. However, Peter steps in and he specifically says, no, no, Bill. Did you read that part where he says, no, Bill. He, they are not drunk. He completely disavows. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, they're drunk. But it ain't alcohol. It's, it, 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 they're drunk. No, no, no. no it's, it's, not the, it's not the Baptist, no, I mean the, the, the Southern interpretation. It's, uh, he said they're not drunk. In fact, he's saying they are, they are proper. And uh, this, is, this was foretold. And this is what should be happening. And this is what church looks like. Get used to it. That's what Peter's saying. No, he, said okay. they, he said they weren't drunk with wine. Okay, so, so, right, which is 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, all right, so, you know, we haven't even read the verses yet, and we're already, okay, uh, let's read it down to uh, 21. Then Peter stood with the 11, 
because Judas is not there. Oh, wait, no. Uh, they just replaced him with Matthias. So Peter is 12. I apologize. I forgot where I was in the scripture. Then Peter stood with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel, uh, chapter 3. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even in my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's what he's referring to. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so that got dark and weird there in the last half of that. Because the prophecy in Joel, the first part is kind of a reference to to what's happening with Peter. That's referring to Christ's first coming. And as often is the case in, uh, in, in Old Testament prophecies, the last part of it is referring to the final days of Christ. At least that's one interpretation of what that is. Uh, a number of commentators have pointed out that Peter's quote of Joel uh, misinterprets, and I'm doing air quotes for the recording, uh, what Joel actually said, and uh, they say that Joel is referring to the end times and Peter is like trying to make it sound like it's for this one. Um, I think the so-called so misinterpretation isn't a misinterpretation at all, and uh, it's, 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 they're, they're picking at straws and picking at language. That's, that's, that's Kevin's explanation. Uh, so, Peter stood up with the 11 and addressed the crowd. This is, this is the Peter that denied Christ and according to some interpretations gave up on Christ and went fishing at the end of Luke. And so now he's stepping up to defend uh, the, the, this, this, this outpouring of the Spirit to the leadership of the Jewish people. These are the people that crucified Christ. And he's about to start preaching to them, and he calls them out on it. Uh, they're on the way to the temple. This is the morning of this feast, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're, 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 this is morning rush hour, and this is when this is happening. So he's, they're, they're right underneath the shadow of the temple, and they're right underneath the shadow of the, the, this huge Roman garrison that was bigger than the temple, if you look at the map. So he's talking to both Romans and Jews, both of which were complicit in Christ's crucifixion. And here he is saying, you're responsible for it. You need to repent for it. You need to step away from the rest of that crowd. Uh, you know, and he's offering them redemption for what they have done in, in his sermon. So uh, Peter has had a major change of heart in the past month plus between his denial and this moment uh, when, 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 when this all this happens. So that's happening under the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, because, yeah, okay. Can, can I read this out of Joel? You may. It says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So basically, Joel is just prophesying about the spirit being poured out, not the last days. He's just, he's actually giving a prophecy of the spirit, the Holy Spirit being poured out. He doesn't keep on going? Uh, Billows of smoke and turning darkness and moon and blood, because he quoted that too. Yeah, he quoted that and everything. The the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, and the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. But basically, mine has a side note up here. Basically, the first part of this, he's first prophesying about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's actually doing two prophecies. One, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has to come, and then the latter part. Right. And that is specifically what Peter is saying. They're accusing them of being drunk, and he's defending this Christian movement in its very beginning. And something to note here, I was Okay. Um, he was accusing them of being drunk, but they're all, he's, it's also kind of a slap at them being good Jews because it was a festival day and they were supposed to be fasting at that point. And so it's not only is he saying, hey, they're drunk. Hey, they broke their fast. Right. And also accusing them of being drunk may have had a slightly different connotation than we're getting right. because according to one thing I read, they simply did not know how to distill heavy liquors. They had fermented wine, which was a lighter alcohol content, and then they would cut the wine with water because the water had bacteria in it, and what they would, what they called reg, normal wine had a very, very low alcohol content. It was, I don't know, less than like 4%, something like that. I'm not a big wine connoisseur. Anyway, uh, and so people did, you'd have to drink a lot of the regular wine in order to really get drunk. Now, I do think they did have new wine, which was the recently uh, uh, distilled, but even that was just the content of whatever wine is normally. It wasn't, it wasn't liquor. We're not talking hard whiskey. We're not talking triple sec here, you know? They didn't know how to do that. Yeah. And so, and so uh, the, the, first of all, it would not be common that they would be drunk, period. They were acting strangely. Uh, in pagan services, there was actually a ritual where the priest would have to g- drink wine before he performed a, 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 a ritual. And so the wine was part of the ritual. And they were maybe suggesting that this was improper and unchurchlike if they're drunk. That is a possible connotation to that. So it's like uh, if you were Greek and standing in the background, that might have been the impression that you got. So it's like the liquor that the Catholic priests give during communion. Something like that. Uh, because that's real liquor. It's not grape juice, right? What, in a Catholic church? Yeah, isn't it? It's real wine. Yeah, that's what Well, wine is different than liquor. Yes. Liquor is, liquor is a different... Much higher alcohol yeah, content. Wine is, 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 there's alcohol in it, but it's real, it's not trusted, it's real wine. There's different 
We trust you, Clayton. No, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I know. It. I know. Okay. <laughs> well, that's what I was asking. Yeah. 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 Is still liquor and fermented? There is. So that's one interpretation. So he's trying to defend, and in so doing, he's saying, no, this was prophesied. This is uh, what has to happen, and this is appropriate, and we're not drunk. We are following the will of God. And then he starts defending the church and shaming, well, I don't know if shaming is the word, the people that crucified Christ. So, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Notice that he begins each one of these sections with, hey, listen up. It's like he's talking to sophomores. It feels like he, you know, I think they're a little rowdy. I don't know that they're paying a lot of attention. I think there's people talking in the back, you know. So, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth has a man accredited by God uh, by, to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So he knows that the, he, he's recognizing faces. He was there, they were there, he's calling them out. You were there when you saw him perform miracles. This man was handed over to you by God, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, I'm pretty sure he was pointing there, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. Which is a really big claim if this is the first time you've heard this. David said to him, said about him, and this is shifting to Psalms, I think this is 110? Uh, 16. Is it 16? Okay. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, the first time I read that, or the several times I read that, I thought David was talking about himself, but then I realized that he's talking about Christ. Yes. And I think the, uh, the, the, the Pharisees understand that he's talking about the Son of Man, the Messiah that they're expecting. And Peter is preaching in the Pharisaic style. They never want to just say something on their own. They always hang what they say on a reference from the Old Testament. They're always interpreting this thing in the Old Testament, and that gives credence and power and, and support for what they're saying, just like a good academician does now with references in the back of the book. You don't want to just jump out there and say, this is the way it is based upon your own so these people that interpretation, because nobody's going to give you any credit. Nobody cares what Kevin says. So these new religions that are trying to say you don't need the Old Testament, you only need the Old, New Testament, they're totally missing the point because you always have to refer back to the Old Testament. You can't just go by the New Testament, don't you always? According to the Pharisees, no. So to me, you've always got to refer reference back to the Old Testament. I don't know what you're So if I just refer to the Gospels, that doesn't count. I have to refer to the Old Testament too. No, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that you can't just depend on what the New Testament says. I think I should just say John three sixteen because Jesus said that. So I know. So I'm just going to stand on John three sixteen. But if you notice, they still reference back to the old. They still, even the apostles, reference back to the Old Testament. 
Yes, they do, Bill. I'm giving you grief. I'm sorry. But the apostles referenced the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament yet. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Wow. There's going to be this book called Romans. Wow. How did we miss that one? What else are they going to reference? There is stuff in the Okay. Well, but I mean, you can't go wrong. But the New Testament, I mean, the New Covenant is an improvement on the Old Covenant. And so the disciple of the in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, just it's, it's all real. It's all good. You can't go wrong. I work with a man that he believes strictly in the Torah. He doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't reference this new covenant. They he strictly sticks by the Torah. Is he Orthodox Jewish? I I don't know if he is or not. I just know that that he's explained. I think that pretty much makes you an Orthodox Jew if all you well, read is the Torah. That's you know, but yeah. Right. You can reference anything you want. It's only going to matter if you just think someone who doesn't believe it's right. I mean, he even he even goes to the point of where that he doesn't have Christmas. That's the only time what you think is going to really matter. Well, let me present my case. Okay. Um, verse 29. Brothers. He's passionate about it. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Where is the tomb of David? I did not look that up, and I meant to. Is it in Jerusalem? Was he standing like right there? Was it down the road? Uh, you know, because they know where the tomb of David is. I, you can tell that from the content. Okay, so so they're outside of town or where the tomb of David is, and everybody knows where David's buried. So he says, uh, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. So he's making the case for the Jews that Christ is the rightful king. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. So if you're standing in the crowd and you, you're a Jew from the dysphoria and you come into uh, uh, to the to the temple on the feast day and this guy says that the Messiah just rose to life and there are people standing all around you that has seen this, wouldn't you ask some questions, Bill? I think I would need somebody to tell me about this. Uh, I think that that's pretty heavy. You are all witnesses of the fact. Because, you know, they saw dead people that had died for yes. 40 days. Funny that that doesn't come up so much. Yeah, I know. From walking the streets of Jerusalem, that had to be kind of kind of spooky. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh, we do know that the Pharisees paid the Roman soldiers to say this, that the disciples stole his body and put it somewhere else. Well, so that's what John thought. Yeah. Exalted to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and was poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven 
And yet he said, and this is the Psalms 100, because he's quoting for the third reference, because Peter is really covering his ground. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified with Lord, Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, which was John's old message. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I'll go ahead and read the rest. With, with, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from corrupt, this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. <laughs> now that's a revival. They're in the streets outside of the temple and they're baptized 3,000 people. Um, and he's calling them to repentance like John did. So this is not anything new. And I, I was looking at verse 39. That's why I pause. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Now, are we referring to? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm reverting back to my Baptist youth. Yes, I am. Uh, is it referring to the Jews or is it referring to Gentiles? To all of those who are far off, all of you Bible scholars I in think, the room? I think he's, talk, he's saying eventually the Gentiles are coming into this. Yeah, I think it's what he's referring to too. Do you guys agree? Do you? Yes. Okay, okay. Wow, we're all on the same page. That's so nice. Uh, so yeah, Peter, who still needed convincing later on in this book, as we'll see, is himself prophesying that this message is for all who are far off. And I think there are some that might argue that he's referring to the Jewish dysphoria, the people that are Jews but are living in Egypt or whatever. Well, he you always know. Had, Peter always had a problem with the Gentiles. Even though he was led to the Gentiles to witness to them, he still never really gave up his prejudice toward the Gentiles, and that's why him and Paul always locked horns. Do we want to use the word prejudice? Sure, sure he says. Okay. Fine. Well, I mean, really, he, he prejudiced against Gentiles? There was, there was a, a they did not look The Jews are God's chosen people. I think it's... They do. Uh, <laughs> I've personally been reminded on several occasions. Um, uh, college. Getting off my track. Uh, I think he's, that, that's how the Old Testament is written. They're God's chosen people. God didn't come to the, the, the Gentiles. So the Jews legitimately feel that they are the chosen people. And guess what? They are. So why would Peter be wrong in that interpretation? I don't know. I don't think it's in terms of we're the chosen people and you guys all stink. There, there was, you, you're Jewish. Personally, you were raised not to like Gentiles. That, 
mean, you I, think I, it's, it's cultural? I think it's cultural, which they added in the chosen people thing. It's kind of it kind of threw fuel on the fire. But I mean, okay, listen, prejudice is prejudice. It's one of the things that's constant in society from the beginning. Is we, we are prejudiced against people who are not like us. And and, and yeah, I agree with Bill. Peter's that was Peter's problem for the longest time. You know, just just because we get saved doesn't mean we get rid of all our baggage immediately. Where God works us. Let me go back to this. This is the true miracle of the day of Pentecost, more than speaking in tongues. Forgive me on my Pentecostal level because we're turning over this. The true miracle of Pentecost day is this Peter getting up and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit preaching this great sermon. Yes. That is the heart of the miracle of Pentecost, not speaking in tongues, not discounting speaking in tongues, but the miracle of a man who just recently denied Jesus three times stands up in front of the same people he denied it and preached. And, you know, he, the, I think the referring to the Old Testament scriptures, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit yes. was doing that. That's the miracle. Yeah, this, this was not a planned and rehearsed sermon. Like I did on Saturday nights before my sermon on Sunday morning. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it, it was not visualized, as has been said recently in my, in my church. Um, what does that mean? It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter was speaking under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And yes, he had been training for the last three years. He was prepared for this. But he, this was not rehearsed. This was this inspired. This yes. And he's quoting big chunks of scripture accurately. And we can argue about a misquote of two words. You know, I'm going to give him that. You know. I so, after he was done, he went, Where'd that come from? Well, yeah. That come from? yeah. But isn't this kind of a fulfillment of what Christ told the apostles? He said, don't worry about what you'll speak. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to well, speak. Yes, yes. That's, I think the it's... Point. that's the point. What the Holy Spirit is about is not necessarily speaking in tongues. It's giving you... It's to give us the wisdom and the gumption to say, okay, I want you to go do this over here, and I want you to say this in this situation. None of that is rehearsed. Oh, I couldn't the agree with you. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is the mind and heart of God in a situation mm -hmm. and, and giving it to other people. That's that, it, it's the heart of God. The Holy Spirit is the, is the, the channel that that comes through. Yeah. I want to yeah. say this. Speaking in tongues is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, speak, speaking in tongues is just the evidence of the power. It is not the power. That's right. That's right. And I don't want to say it's disrespectfully, but isn't the most important part of the Holy Spirit what he does for us, how he empowers us, not so much the speaking in tongues. Correct. It's just the evidence. Yeah. It's just the evidence. It's, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is about, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And isn't that what Paul was trying to always emphasize, that the, that the tongues was not the important part? I read a little AG book. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> about, um, whenever we actually had a Pentecostal evangel. Um, so I subscribed my sister. Is that still publishing? <laughs> I think so. Think so? Okay. Yeah. So I subscribed my sister um, some Pentecostal evangelists. I got this little free AG book about baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit. And it's basically in one little thing just you don't seek the baptism, you seek the baptizer. You seek after Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's when you'll receive the Holy Amen. Spirit. Well, uh, well it, it, it's just it's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to just make you more Christ-like. Mm -hmm. I mean, though I speak with the tongues of angels, if I do not have love, I'm just a clanging cymbal. There's a lot of people who speak in tongues who don't have love in their life. You know, 
And if you're going to look at this from Luke's point of view, because he is the one painstakingly writing this on a scroll, the, 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 the tongues are a kind of a warm-up introduction in this chapter to Peter's address. And Peter's address is abbreviated because he even says so. And then he said other words are in there. Uh, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. That's basically saying, I'm giving you the highlights of the message. It went on for two hours. That's, that's, that's what that's saying. Uh, the point of this is Peter's, Peter's eloquence. It's Peter's message. And Peter is not only speaking in an inspired way that we haven't heard him speak before. I mean, look at all the bumbling that we look at, we see Peter of in the Gospels. Uh, this is almost a different guy. And then, uh, not only that, but he's directly challenging the same people that he's been running from for the past four years. Yes, but it's not his courage, I don't think. I think he's surrendered to the, the, the Holy Spirit, and they're following what the Holy Spirit wants, and this is, is I mean, you can argue the point, the birth of the church. This is the beginnings of it. This is the birth of the church. But you know, the thing is, if you go back to certain points in the Old Testament, there were those that, that received the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Yes, and, and like I said, you can argue the point, of course you're going to. So No, I'm not going to argue the point. I just, <laughs> I just think it's unique that the Holy Spirit was yes was being poured technically being poured out on certain prophets and things in the Old Testament before there was actually a day of Pentecost. But this is for everyone now. Yeah. Well, now I got let me go to the anti-agey, not the anti-agey thing, the non-agey, the non-agey thing. Oh, there remember is a, this is recorded. I know. Okay. I, I, okay. I, I'm pretty sure on this. I'm not going to lose my. All right, Jimmy. But let's see. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's been misinterpreted sometimes that he's talking about tongues. All that. There's a difference between the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation. Gifts are the gifts. When he says this is a gift of the Holy Spirit for everyone coming, he's talking about salvation that's entered. There's no limitations to your nationality or anything. We're talking about salvation here, which that's what the purpose of the the gifts are, is to bring the gift to others. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's not too controversial, is it? No. Well, some people it is. It's I, just a clarification. It's a clarification that when, he, when it says the gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation, yeah. the gifts are the manifestations and the charismatic gifts. But the, the amazing thing of this is, as anointed as he was here to preach this message and see 3,000 souls saved, he still had a hard time believing that the Gentiles deserved to be saved. And let's be fair, we all have our prejudices. Yeah. Okay. But remember, our preconceived ideas. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not instantaneously perfect. It's the, the purpose of filling the Holy Spirit is the beginning of the process where you start getting better. You start, you know, and we still show me the person who gets filled with the Holy Spirit and have everything fixed in their lives. Show me that person and I'll follow them. But I haven't found that person yet. None yeah. of us are, are going to be perfect until we cross over Jordan. Some people are closer. Perfection. Some of us aren't. You're good. 
You really are good. You've got skills beyond. Amazing. The people on the listening don't have an idea of what we're talking about. No, not at all. And they don't need to. Okay. Um, all right. Have we gotten everything out of that? Verse 42. So after he is baptized 3,000 people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are the 3,000 people, I'm assuming. Everyone was filled with awe, and with many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So the apostles are still preaching, and they're still performing miracles, and they're still healing. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Is this any one day? This, this has got to take a while, right? Mm -hmm. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, you know, Luke was a numbers man, and if he had had them, I'm sure he would have given them to you. So we don't know, and neither did he. Uh, but he knew that people were being saved, and the numbers were growing. And the, uh, these, these, these converts are behaving in kind of an unusual manner. This isn't the way a good Jew behaves. You want to... Uh, take care of you and yours and you want to make sure that your social status is protected and you want to make sure that you are uh, 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 scripturally clean so that you can go to uh, the temple and you're going to obey all 3,000 uh, laws and rules and how you're supposed to behave during the day and you're supposed to stay away from all those scumbags that don't and you just don't invite anybody in your house if you are a good Jew. Yes? I'm talking about the modern I'm talking about the, modern Jew, the old <laughs> Jews. Well, I'm talking about I'm talking about the Jews. But yeah, there are there are similarities. Uh, we're humans are tribal, and we protect our own. And if you're in, you're in, and if you're out, you're you're out. And I don't think that this is that much different. If we're going to get down to it, it's just that this tribe has just been expanded. And that's weird. It's a new tribe. This is shaking the world upside down. Yes. And I have seen references that say that this is the first instance of communism. And it's the foundation of Marxist thought. And how we should all be communists today because this is how the Christians behave. That was a fun commentary. Uh, were they living communally? Or were they living communistically? Or were they just being generous? I almost see it as they, um, they got it wrong and they crucified Christ. And is it saying, hey, I need to do everything I can to right the wrong that I did related to this, so let's help get this good message out there. How can I give? What can I do to help? Let's keep talking about yeah. There's been a big change, yeah, and they're 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 working with other people who are converted. I agree. My argument is one, and this is what I learned from Dr. Marshall, 
forced generosity by the government. This is, this is led by the Holy Spirit. Forced <laughs> being the key word, yes. Uh, because they are required to give up all of your possessions. This and is the Holy Spirit, once again, the miracle of the true miracle. And, I can, and I can support that scripturally. If you go to uh, Acts 5.4, this is Ananias and Sapphira, that we're going to get through sometime next month at this rate. Uh, it says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Because he just sold this land. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Which means that all these people have their own possessions and their own property, and they do not owe this property to the other people. It is a willing gift. I don't think that it's communal living. I don't think that it's communism. I think this is, this is family. This is spirit. This is basic family of God. This, yes, this is, this is basic general care for people within your family and social group. Uh, I, you know, if, if my relatives or in-laws came to me and needed to borrow money, I am, I am like the tightest man in America. I am the original old Scrooge and I have the original dollar I ever earned. Um, I, will, I will give money to my relatives. I might give money to my friends. At least I used to when I was single. I'm not sure if I would now. <laughs> but my friends are going to be within my church because that's where most of my friends are. You know, my, I have this little circle of people that I protect, and then there's another circle of people out of that, and there's another circle of people out of that, and then there's everybody else. Does that make sense? Uh, you might be in that outer circle, to be fair. I include this church in that outer circle. I, 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 I like you guys. You're my friends. But the thing is, uh, you're, you know, we, we, we look after our friends, and that's what they're doing too. To, but to the point that it's sacrificial. They're selling off property, and they are really going the distance in caring for their Let's friends. Talk about, I want to go back to the point. Look at the true miracle of Pentecost here. Yes. Uh, this is radical. I mean, we're looking back where we grew up. We started for that time. For this time, I think it's radical. Let's be careful when we say, "Well, we want them. We want to be like the first-century church." Do we? <laughs> Do we? No. How many people who say, "I want to go back to Acts-type church in our church"? Do they? No, they don't. There are churches that have, and we call them cults. But that's forced. You you crossed a line. See. That was an Amber Alert for those on the internet. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Kunlay. Bye. Boy, that was But that's the thing. I mean, I, that always your phone call nine one one. Because I mean, we always we want to be the Acts Testament, the Acts Church, the first century church, the church back here. And this, no, we, most of us don't. And you know, when you talk about selling, you're voluntarily led by the Holy Spirit. How many people would actually do that? Do a lot of the things that these folks did in the New Testament church, how many of them really would do it? <sighs> if it I'm was cynic. you... I'm a cynic. I'm a, it's kind no, of a, I'm saying... If, if it was my brother-in-law, very, very low that anybody would do I that. I think there's some. There's some, I, yes, but not, not, not like here. I mean, these, these people were just, you know... This was the power of the Holy Spirit working with these we, people. We are... Key, yeah, maybe, on a good day... Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying that we're selfish in our nature, and to transform that in us is hard to do. It is. I, think, 
I'd say it's impossible to do. Well, no, that's who we are. The Holy Spirit yes. can transform us. If you want to see what that's the mirror, that's what I'm that's 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 what, that's what's so miraculous about it. That these yeah. Today, here in America, we're getting close to communism because they're forcefully trying to take away everything, take away our stoves, take away our First Amendment. Let them have it. It shouldn't matter to it. us. No, I'm not, no, but I'm saying that's the, that's true communism take, when they start taking away all your rights. But, but I mean, here's the thing: it's how do we respond to the message of the gospel? How many people? Well, I'm, I'm coming up pretty cynical. How many of us sit through services we like on Sunday, and it makes no difference on Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, or Thursday? I, I enjoy my hour and a half in church that I attend, and I get something from it. But if I'm not doing anything Monday through Saturday, it doesn't We don't even make it to lunch on Saturday. We don't even make it to lunch. <laughs> we go to the next restaurant and start chewing out the waitress and stuff. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's salvation's easy. Daily living for Christ is the hard part. And, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. To change. Most of these people a month earlier or two months, whatever time frame we're talking about, would not have sold their possessions and voluntarily given it to someone else in need. Now, because the Holy Spirit is infilling them, they're doing it. That's the miracle of Pentecost, the changing of lives to become more Christ-like. The fruit, the gifts of the Spirit are to lead us to the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, because Pharisees and the Jewish people would not just voluntarily normally do it. They're well. I don't think Where Brandon go? He didn't come in here. I don't want I'm changing him to absent. Who, who, who? Brandon. Oh. I saw him. I saw him coming yeah. to church. Yeah. Okay. That's why I always say, if you didn't come back, I'll be coming back at noon on Sunday. All right. With that, uh, we are done with chapter two of Acts, and next week we will pick up chapter three where Peter heals a beggar. Uh, goodbye, Internet.